I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for a moment. Uh, as we do that, uh, let, me, let me preface our, the message by saying that uh, you, I just mentioned a while ago I'm supposed to be on vacation. Brian called me yesterday morning, said he was sick and wouldn't be able to preach today. And uh, I, uh, I could not do the Ecclesiastes sermon I have up next. Now, those that have been around here know that I plan way ahead on the sermons. I have the sermons done six or eight weeks ahead. And uh, so I've, I've been doing that forever. But what you don't know, and I've usually, I don't think I've ever said to many of you, is that although those sermons are done, I've done all the commentary work and all the background work and are ready to roll, that I revise those sermons all the week I'm preaching them eight different times. So I start on Tuesday morning, I go over eight different times, I'm revising, changing uh, all week long so that they're preachable. And I, so I couldn't walk up here and do an Ecclesiastes sermon uh, the way I would normally do it because it's far too complicated of a passage. So when Brian mentioned that, I thought about pulling out uh, some of my sermons. I call my, my best sermons the best of Gary. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, I thought I could do that. But then I thought, you know, I've been thinking about something for a while. It's been percolating in my mind. And I was going to write about it and, uh, and maybe have a Sunday school class or something on it. And uh, we'll still probably do that. But as this got going in my mind, I thought this would be a very uh, different kind of sermon, but a very, I hope, ap applicable and helpful sermon. I want to do something very different uh, than, than a normal sermon, than what I'd normally do. You'll see some differences as we go through. But it's going to be on the Word of God. Uh, I've entitled it Ancient Words. That's a song we love to sing here, isn't it? Ancient Words, Ever True, Changing Me and Changing You. Uh, that's, a, that's almost a theme song of Southern View Chapel in some ways, concerning the Word of God anyway. And... Uh, most Christians know that the scriptures are essential, right, to their spiritual life. And let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses, 3, verses 14 and 15. The, the word of God is essential for our salvation, first of all, our conversion. Verse 14 says, You, however, continue in the things which you've learned and from, become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so the, it's, the word of God is the necessary link to understanding the, the gospel. We, we cannot understand the gospel without the teaching of God's word. And so it is essential for salvation. No one here got saved without the instruction and teaching of the word of God. And secondly, it is essential for our growth in Christ, or what we call sanctification. All Scripture, verse 16, is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. And so, very clearly from this passage, you do not grow in Christ, you do not become what He wants you to become, uh, you do not move forward in maturity without the Word of God. It is absolutely, completely impossible. It cannot happen. And so the scriptures are quite clear on that. And yet, a lot of well-meaning Christians, people who truly love the Lord Jesus Christ, often with all their hearts, have an awful time engaging with the Bible. Uh, how are we supposed to engage? Well, that's what we want to talk about today. To say that people have a struggle with this is, is just common knowledge for, for many. Many of you could identify with that. But how does God want us to engage with the Scripture? How do, we, how do we receive the teaching, the instruction, the encouragement from the Word of God? So I want to do two things here with that. I want to, I want to say, first of all, that it's, it's through public teaching and then private study. So let's start with public teaching in, in verses 1 to 5 in chapter 4. We just read that. 
And we see that, that the public proclamation, public teaching, preaching of God's word is one of the instruments that God uses to change us. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth. And they will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so he encourages Timothy to preach, to proclaim, to teach God's word whether people want to hear it or not. So folks, don't, don't see the, the public teaching of the Word of God as second class in any sense or lesser importance than what you might do on your private time at home. Keep in mind that throughout most of history, people did not own a Bible. You realize that, don't you? Throughout most of history, Old Testament, New Testament, up until modern era, people did not own a Bible. They just simply did not have one. Today we're flooded with Bibles. I've got an app that many of you have this, have the same app as I do, has 75 different translations on it. I've got bought dozens of Bibles in my office, my study. Uh, I've been given four new Bibles just recently. Apparently people think I need more Bibles. And I've got new Bibles. You, you've got them too. They're everywhere. Everybody has scriptures here and there. But until modern times, only important church leaders, rich people in some churches, had Bibles at all. During the Middle Ages... There was often one copy of the Bible for a church. They chained that Bible to the pulpit in the churches. It's the only one that was available. They chained it so that some very spiritual Christian wouldn't come along and steal it. So they kept it there. That, and so nobody had a Bible that they took home, is my point. They didn't go home and read the Bible. They didn't have copies of the Bible for the most part. When Gutenberg uh, created the movable type and press, uh, we're often told, and it's true, that the first thing he printed was Bibles. But in 1455, he printed 200 Bibles, 200 Bibles, for all of Europe, all the world. And it was in Latin. And nobody could read Latin. Wasn't a whole lot of help right there. It'd be another hundred years before Tyndale, William Tyndale, would translate the Bible into English. And then the, the British Empire tried to burn everyone they could find and destroy it, and eventually burned him at the stake. And so there wasn't a lot of Bibles for a very long time. Even today, the majority of Christians around the world, the majority of people, do not have Bibles in their language. Uh, that's why we have missionaries right now doing that kind of work. We have uh, the Browns and the, and the Nelsons and the Schatz all either directly or indirectly uh, working with translation of Scripture into the language of people who have never had a Bible in their language ever have never read the Bible even once, and they're coming to Christ, and they don't have the Word of God, and so translation work is vital to get that Word to them. But most people do not have that. So how do they learn the Bible? How do they grow in Christ? Well, primarily by the teaching of those who do know the Bible, and that's why we send out missionaries. That's why missionaries go out throughout the world. They, they train people uh, in the churches. Those people multiply themselves. One of the ministries, another ministry we support is Christ Seminary in South Africa. And that, that whole task of that work, led by Dave Beakley, is to, is to train uh, national African pastors in the Bible. Zambia, uh, 
the Zimbabwe, South Africa, these men come. Most of them who come are pastors who know nothing about the Bible, hardly anything at all. And they come to the Christ Seminary to spend three to four years in the study of the Word of God and go out and teach their people the Word of God. So that is the multiplication, even though many of them had never read the Bible in their own language before. Today in America, uh, most understanding of the Word is through public teaching and preaching of that Word in various forms. It might be on the radio, it might be podcasts, it might be uh, television, it might be various media formats, and it primarily is found in our churches. And that's why, folks, just a sidebar here, if you are looking for a new church or you move from the area at some point and you need a new church, let, let me encourage you with all my heart, don't get, don't get wrapped up in finding a church that has music that fits your taste. Don't, don't get wrapped up in looking for a church that has multiple programs that you can think that you could plug into. Those things are valuable. Those things are, are good. Look for a church, and there's often hard to find, that majors on the proclamation, the systematic teaching of the Word of God. That's what you need. That's what you need to find. Everything else is, is important, but not as important as the Word of God. Find a church that teaches the Word of God. And let that word of God soak into your heart. That's what changes you. That's what changes you. Not music, not programs, scripture. Music can change us if the music is tied to scripture. But it will not change you if it's not. And therefore it's so vital that the word of God be proclaimed on a regular basis in our churches. So public proclamation, public teaching is essential of the word of God. Find a place where the public teaching is there, look for it in other forums and do that. Don't despise that. Don't look down on that. Don't see that as secondary. It's not. It's the primary way most people learn the Bible today. But secondly, there's private intake, and that's where I'm going to spend the rest of my time today. We're having a regular personal time in the Word of God has long been recognized by almost all Christians as, as vital for their walk with Jesus Christ, right? We've called it by various names. When I was growing up, we called it devotions. Uh, the navigators came along some years ago and called it quiet time and that caught on then there's Bible study there's different names for it but basically it's getting alone with God and his word and reading the Bible studying the Bible and letting the word of God change your life every true follower of Christ would agree that that kind of time is valuable even essential to their daily walk with him I don't think there's hardly any Christian true Christian who would deny that Yet many Christians do not make a habit of being in the Word of God due to many factors. There's time constraints. We're, we're all busy. There's so many things to do, so many directions we're going. Uh, we have distractions of millions of, of millions of things that distract us. Uh, we're, we're simply not knowing how to do it. As much as we have, we talked about this as staff the other day, we've taught dozens of classes on how to read and study the Bible, and yet many people don't know how to start in their own reading of the Bible. Uh, many have started to read the Bible. New Year's, Eve, New Year's Day is coming up, and there'll be a lot of resolutions about reading the Bible, but many people will fail by, by Groundhog Day, and they'll not try it again for a while. Uh, many cannot, cannot find a method that work. Others uh, have heard so many suggestions on how they ought to read the Bible that they get confused and simply give up. Uh, and Sometimes we're motivated by guilt, by somebody like me gets up and condemns you for not reading, 
and therefore you feel guilty, and guilt works for a while, but not long, right? So try that on your diet, right? I know I shouldn't eat those chips. I'm not going to eat them for a whole week, but I only make it three days. I mean, guilt doesn't work too well. Guilt is a bad motivator, and I'm not here to guilt you. I'm here to draw you in a different direction today, and I hope this is valuable to you. So for the remainder of this sermon, I want to talk about some of the ways to resolve these hindrances from the reading of the Word of God and develop a healthy personal engagement with the Word. And I want to stress two issues this morning. First, how should we approach Scripture? It's easy to get confused by all the methodologies, by all the dogmatic opinions about how we ought to do this, uh, all the unrealistic expectations for most of us, so I want to try to resolve some of those by identifying four ways to approach Scripture that all of us can do, and I think they will be helpful as we interlace them. So, so jot these down and think them through. Number one, reading the Bible. Let's start with the first approach is simply reading the Bible, and that's exactly what it says. It's reading the Bible, not studying the Bible, not getting in detail in the Bible, simply reading the Bible. It's like walking through the woods. And enjoying the woods. This last week on vacation, uh, we were in southern Indiana in a beautiful cabin with some friends and uh, from the church here, and we were surrounded by the most gorgeous of woods that you could ever imagine. And, and we had, the Lord gave us three perfect days, three perfect fall days. So as I walked in the woods, I just walked, and I looked, and I observed, and I didn't study. I just occasionally would pause along the way to, to look at the splendor, the glory, the beauty of the fall foliage and, and the, how the woods were designed and, and these hardwood trees and all that was out there. And I, I wasn't in a hurry. I just walked along and enjoyed what I saw and I, didn't, I just observed. The, observation is the key word here. Observe what the Word of God, uh, observe, observe what, what is in nature, take that back to the Word of God you are to observe, simply observe what you find as you read and walk through the scriptures. Just observe, just read. Now let me give you some, some ideas, some methods. A lot of you will say, I want to read through the Bible this year, or at least part of it. And you say, but I don't have the time, I just can't make it. Now let me give you some thoughts here. I, just, I did this looking up at the uh, infallible Google search, so I know it's true. So if you read through, if you wanted to read through Romans, from Romans to Revelation this year, it would take you about, at normal speaking rate, uh, speed, about eight hours. That means that you could read through the epistles through Revelation in 1.3 minutes a day, if you read every day. If you couldn't do it every day, you could do it in nine minutes a week. Nine minutes a week, and you have read through Romans all the way through Revelation. If you want to add uh, the Gospels and Acts in there, you can do that as well in three minutes a day and read the whole New Testament in three minutes a day, 21 minutes a week, and you've read through the New Testament. That isn't real daunting, is it? If you want to throw the Old Testament in there as well, it depends on how fast you read, but at the slowest, it's 72 hours to read through the whole Bible. That comes down to 12 minutes a day or 84 minutes a week. You could read through the whole Bible in one year that way. That makes reading through the New Testament and the Old Testament very doable for those who would set up a schedule. But add to this, if we're on the reading schedule, add to this the idea of simply listening to the Bible. 
We have all these things on our apps here. U version, I just mentioned, Y-O-U version. 75 different translations. Most of them will read to you. You can, on, on your way to work, let the Bible read to you. Uh, when you're watch, waiting for the kids to get out of some class they're taking, let, let the Bible read to you. When you are walking around somewhere, let the Bible read to you. You can read through the whole Bible very, very quickly. Let the Bible read to you. You're, you're reading. You're observing. You don't have to study at that point. Secondly, studying the Bible. So reading the Bible is observation. Studying the Bible is interpretation. Now we're digging in. And we're trying to understand what the Word of God actually means and what it says. As I was walking through the woods this last week, uh, after a couple, three rounds of going through the woods, I started to do more than observe. I started to investigate. And that's what studying is about. I, I wanted to understand these trees. I, I said to myself, I wish I knew my trees better. I wish I knew the leaves, what leaves are there in the bark and, and different things. I wanted to investigate these kind of things and know these kind of things better. So I stopped and looked. And I pondered, you know, why are there beech trees here in these woods? And there's hardly any around here. And those beech trees are those smooth bark trees that everybody uh, corrupts by carving their initials in it. You know, that kind of thing. The beautiful, wonderful, giant trees. Why are there hardly any here, but there are so many there? And then this summer I was at, out west, and we saw aspen groves. And, what a, what a th- and I learned recently and shared with you that an aspen grove is one tree, really. One root system, not several trees. That's interesting. That's investigation. What, and they're not none here. They don't live here. Why is that? And, and then uh, beech trees, not beech, uh, birch trees that are up north, those white bark trees. All these things you can investigate and learn more. I'd like to know what berries I could eat and what mushrooms I can't eat so that I don't get sick. That would be great to know, and I don't know those things. I, I could if I was interested. Uh, we took uh, the other day, we took... Uh, the grandkids' dog into the woods for maybe the first time. He decided that a hedge apple would be great to eat. Those are those big, ugly-looking things that even squirrels won't eat, I don't think. And so he ate most of it. We finally threw it away. And then, of course, predictably, halfway down the road, he threw it all up. Now, we'll see how smart he is next time we take it. But i got a feeling he might not do that next time. He investigated and found that wasn't a good plan, right? There's so many things I could learn in nature that I would like to know, but I don't take the time to know. Let's, let's move that over to the study of Scripture. I've, I've read, now I'm investigating. Here's where I can use commentaries or word studies or, or other tools. There's so many tools today, folks, and it's amazing. I can do now on my iPhone in, in word study in one minute, my iPhone, in one minute what used to take me an hour or two in my books uh, when I was studying the same thing. The electronic opportunities today is un- incredible, and you can tap into those even if you're you, you can uh, electronically technology. If you're technologically challenged, we got the class for you today. <laughs> Kurt Fleck will tell you why you're that way and how you can be changed. So make sure you start going to that class. So the goal of Bible study is information. It is to know what the Bible text is teaching us. Uh, for many, though, study is a, is a daunting word. Study. Oof. Oof. Haven't done that since the sixth grade. I don't think I want to do that again. Well, okay, if it is, let me move on to a study method that's a little easier. Number three, reading, study. Thirdly, consuming. Consuming the Bible. Some people have called this eat your Bible. Okay, I, that, you can remember that. Eat your Bible. It's a methodology that, uh, that 
that John MacArthur actually has popularized. He didn't invent it, but he popularized it. And it involves reading the same section of Scripture over and over for a month. So you take a small section of Scripture, an epistle, or a small section of the Gospels, and you read that same section for a solid month, every day for a month. And you don't read anything else but that. And when you do that, you begin to know that passage. Now you can, you can read Philippians, for example, and Colossians in about 14 minutes. If that's too much for you, you can read 2 Peter in 10. And if that's too much, you can read Titus in 6. And so let's go with Titus right here. Read Titus every day for a month. After seven days, the ideas and the themes and the words that are repeated and so forth start becoming clear to you and you start recognizing those words and those themes. By day 14, you're itching to jot some thoughts down because it's coming together for you. You're beginning to learn. By day 21, you're understanding the book of Titus like you never knew it before. By day 30, you're an expert in the book of Titus just by your own study. And that's called inductive study methods. Fancy maybe, if you're not used to it, it simply means we pull out of the text what is there. I'm learning what is there. And by reading the same text for 30 days in a row, let me tell you something, you will be an expert in that passage of Scripture. You didn't have to open a commentary or do a word search. Uh, you can later, but that just reading that will make you an expert pretty much in the book of Titus or any other book that you're using. But there's one more approach I want to uh, bring up to you to today that uh, I have seldom talked about, and I don't know that many others have either, and I, I apologize for that. I think I have done this on occasion, but not to the degree I should, and I want to I correct that today, and I want to correct that uh, further in my life together with you, and that is number four, loving the Bible, okay, loving the Bible. So we've seen reading and studying and consuming. How about loving the Bible? I think this is the breakdown, folks, to be honest. I think that's where many people, why many people don't read the scriptures is they don't realize they're supposed to love it and how much they can love it. This is another way of saying enjoy your Bible, fall in love with the Bible. Many don't do that and many don't read it because they've never fallen in love with it. Now let me back off what, and help you with this. What do you like to read? And some of you say, I don't like to read anything. And I'll challenge that. You read what you're interested in. People that claim they don't read anything will read books on guns and uh, hunting and quilting and decorating and ideas and sports and gardening and history and travel or whatever you're interested in, even if it's got a lot of pretty pictures, still you're reading something. They don't put those rag magazines up at the gro in the grocery store at the checkout for nothing. People read something. They read what they're interested in. Apparently everybody's interested in the royalty of England because that's, that's always there. I just kind of skipped that one, but uh, we read what interests us and what we enjoy. Why do people, I, I'm amazed, I see people reading these big books on airplanes in different places. How, why would they read those books? Well, they're, because they're interested. We le read what we're interested in. Why do people read the whole series of Chronicles of Narnia? Why do they read Harry Potter? Why do they read Louis Lamar and his Western uh, novels? Why, why the huge four-volume four Lord of the Rings? Difficult reading. Why do they read those things? Because they excite our imagination. They stir our emotions. They, they take us to another world. Who, who, doesn't, who doesn't want to know what's in the back 
of that wardrobe of, of, of Narnia. When they open up that back of that wardrobe and they go into a new world, who doesn't want to know what's in the back of that wardrobe? Everybody does. How, who, who doesn't want to know how Laura Wilder uh, survived that winter of, that where they couldn't even get out of the house because of the snow in the Little House on the Prairie series? Who doesn't want to know those things? Who doesn't get excited when our imagination is stirred? Who didn't cry when old Yeller died? If you didn't, I don't want to talk to you. Who do, or, or who doesn't rejoice when the dark forces of evil are conquered in the Lord of the Rings? Or who doesn't hurt with Anna Green Gables when this little orphan girl goes to the house of her foster parents and they say, we don't want you, we wanted a boy, not you, we're sending you back. Who doesn't hurt with that poor little girl at a point like that? Who doesn't feel the heat of hell when Dante walks through the gate of despair and says there's no hope for those who enter here? Who, who doesn't feel the burden of the guilt of sin with pilgrim, the pilgrim as he goes through his walk of pilgrim's progress to the celestial city? Who doesn't get, feel those things? What, who, who doesn't... Well, let, me, let me give you this. this I, I'll just be honest. I read a quote years ago by that great biblical scholar, Louis Lamore that has stuck with me for the rest of my reading. It's, it's, it's excited me about reading. I'm going to read some of this to you. It's in the second com, uh, companion that he wrote just before he died. And he said this concerning reading. It's often been said that we have but one life to live. That is nonsense. If one reads fiction, he can live a thousand lives in many parts of the world or in outer space. One can cross the desert, climb the Himalayas, or experience the agony of defeat, the triumph of victory, the pangs of starvation, or the choking thirst of the desert, all while safely at home. Now listen to this. I love this. The, it says, seated in my library, I live in a time machine. In an instant, I could be transmitted to any era of history, any part of the world, even to outer space. Often I am asked in what period of history I would prefer to live, and I wonder that they do not see, for I have lived them all. I have listened to Buddha speak. I have marched with Alexander, sailed with the Vikings, or in their, or in their double canoes with the Polynesians. I have sent, been at the courts of Queen Elizabeth and Louis the Fourteenth. I have explored the West with Jedediah Smith and Jim Bridgard. I have become the friend of Captain Nemo and have sailed with Captain Bly on the bounty. I have walked in the Algora, Agora with so Socrates and Plato and listened to Jesus deliver the Sermon on the Mount. Above all, and the most remarkable thing, I can do it all over again. Any, any moment, the books are there. I only have to reach up, up my shelves and take them down and live them all over again. Those moments I loved. Surely we live today in the greatest moment of history. For no other time have books been so readily available in the bookstores, in public libraries, and in the home. Why do we read those books? They, they excite our imagination. They take us to another world. We love them. Many of us do. Just love those things, and so we read those things. What if we brought, I'm not just giving you a fictional study here today, by the way. What if we brought that passion, that excitement, that enthusiasm, that love for reading other things into the reading of Scripture? No, no guilt trip, uh, no have to, no duty, a love for what Scripture has to say. What if we did that? After all, there's no other book like the Bible. There, there, what, what, other, what other book has all these interesting stories, this great poetry, these great marvelous tragedies and 
the, the great solutions and deeper insights into life and reasons for joy and contemplation of sorrow than the Bible. Nothing compares to this library of books that are in our hands. Nothing. At times, just read it for joy. At times, just open your Bible and read it for joy. Fall in love with the sweet and courageous characters. Fall in love with Moses in his journey to leading the people of Israel out of the land and all the battles that he fought, but he remains faithful. Fall in love with that sweet character, Ruth, who left it all behind and followed her, her mother-in-law to take care of her and ended up being in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Follow, follow Samuel, who as a little boy was faithful and he lived faithfully to the day of his death. Follow Mary, who as a teenager agreed to become the Savior's mother on earth, Jesus' mother. And what about Paul? He couldn't beat him to death. They couldn't stone him to death. They couldn't drown him. They couldn't do anything. They could throw him in dungeons. They could whip him. They could do anything to him. And like a rubber ball, he just bounced back and kept on serving Christ. What a story. What an enthusiastic story. Grieve with Adam when he takes the bite of that forbidden fruit. And say, no, Adam, please don't do that. Don't do that. Grieve with, with Cain and Abel as Cain reaches out and murders his own brother because of jealousy and, and hate. Grieve with Noah, so faithful for 120 years and built an ark on dry land. Who does that? <laughs> and then goes out and get drunk and embarrasses himself. Grieve when David looks down from the balcony and we say, David, don't do it. You've been the sweet psalmist of Israel, it says. You've been the man of, after God's own heart. You fought armies. You fought giants. You are God's man. Don't look down, David. Walk away. And he doesn't. And his life becomes a wreck as a result of that. Grieve with him. Grieve with Peter when he denies Jesus Christ after living with him for three years. But rejoice when David is forgiven. Rejoice when he writes his psalms of, of repentance and all the other sweet psalms we can read. Rejoice when the Messiah is born. We're going to be doing that in a few weeks. We'll, we'll rejoice with the angels at the coming of the incarnation, the coming of Christ. Rejoice with that. Rejoice as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and proclaiming himself king of Israel, but then get angry when they grab him and crucify him. Get angry when they nail him to the cross. Get angry as we watch in the book of Acts Christians being persecuted. But marvel at the results of the cross. Marvel at the resurrection and what accomplishes. Hope in the return of Christ, his great plans for our, our rapture and our eternal home with him forever that he's preparing for us. Let your heart fall in love with the stories that may be all too familiar and marvel at the love and the faithfulness and the wisdom of our all-powerful God who walks with us day by day through life and has bothered to communicate with us through the scriptures. Fall in love with God's word. Now let me close it out by going to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations right after Jeremiah. Let me give you a method to try. For those of you that struggle at home reading, let me give you a very simple methodology, kind of combining some of the things we've just said today. Lamentations chapter 3. Here's the methodology. Pick out a passage of scripture 
Maybe go, you're going through a book. And take a few of the verses, not all of them, just three or four verses. And uh, as, you go, as you do that, take this, this four-step approach to reading that passage of Scripture. First of all, and, and at home, I'm, I'm going to recommend that you do this. At home, take three minutes for each step. Three minutes for each step. We're not going to be able to do that today. But three minutes for each step. Maybe two if you struggle. First of all, for two minutes, read and reread the passage. So let's look at our passage today. I was going to have you do it in class here, but uh, we're not going to do that. So we don't have time. But look at this with me. He says in verse 21 of chapter 3, This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness and deeds never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is, thy faith, is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. 21 to 24. Read it over and over for three minutes. You might read it ten times in three minutes or five times or whatever. Jot that, secondly, jot down some observations. After reading it for two or three minutes, whatever, and one minute if it really bothers you, read it, read it several times. And now take a, a, a pen and a notebook and jot down some observations. What do you notice? about this passage of scripture. I hope you notice that, that he uses the word hope several times in here. He's finding hope in the midst of tragedy and disaster. I hope you notice that the Lord has loving kindnesses and compassion for those of us who are going through deep waters. And also that he's, he's faithful and his faithfulness is new to us constantly. And he is our portion, all that we need. I hope you notice those things. Those will be some of the things to jot down, to observe. Spend two minutes doing that, or one, or three, whatever works. Thirdly, go back and spend two or three minutes writing down a few questions that come to mind. As you go through this passage, what would you, what would you question? What, what would you say here? How, how does, you might ask, how does his loving kindness get communicated to me? How do I know his compassion? Why, what is his faithfulness like? How does it differ from the faithfulness of others? Whatever question is on your mind, it doesn't matter. It's a question you want to explore at another time. And then fourth, one, two, three minutes, whatever, reflect on those questions. Think about those questions. Ponder those questions. And I found in my own life, one of the very best ways to ponder Scripture is to pray. Pray over those very things. Talk to God about the very things that I've just uncovered in His Word. So spend two or three minutes on that. If you use a method like that, a very simple method at home, Depending on how long you want to go, if you did one minute per each or four or three, two or three, you're going anywhere from four to twelve minutes of being in the Word in such a way that it penetrates your heart. And my friend, if you did that on a regular basis, I am going to absolutely guarantee that your life will be transformed. It will be. Because the Word of God is given to us for that. Don't you love the Word of God? Don't you love that God bothered to communicate to us himself, his word, his truth, his instructions, all these stories, all these ways, all these things for you. He didn't need it. <laughs> it's for you. It's for me. Oh, fall in love with the word of God, folks. Fall in love. Enjoy it. Don't make it a, a, a duty. Don't make it a guilt trip. Don't make it a harsh thing. Say, I love God, and therefore I love His Word, and I'm going to have a simple system 
to allow it to change me to be what God wants me to be. I hope this has been helpful to you. I made it up this morning about three minutes ago. So <laughs> I, I hope it will be helpful. Father, we do thank you for yourself and this morning for your word. It's so valuable, so, so much to love. Lord, you know, some of us who've been Christians for a long time have read these accounts, these stories over and over and over and over. And we've lost the freshness. Oh, Lord, help us not to lose the freshness. Let us come with new eyes and new hearts and let your word penetrate our hearts and lives in every conceivable way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.